This is Gwen Riddler for Food Manufacture, and I was in conversation with Renew Foods entrepreneurial lead Matthew Hutchinson and Professor Dr. Kang Lam Ti from the University of Sheffield to discuss the kind of work that would be needed to make alternative proteins the number one source of protein for consumers, and what manufacturers would need to do to make them more palatable to the British public. So I think the, the quick answer is it's still a long way off. Um, I mean, we've seen this is an industry that has sort of received quite exponential growth in the past few years. The Middle East sort of stalled uh, in the past one of the global financial crisis. Uh, but um, this um, there's been a, a lot of different uh, sort of companies uh, that have popped up, sort of, um, sort of taking advantage of this uh, boom. Um, but sort of where we're, we're at at the moment is uh, sort of there's a, a sort of question of scale, um, the kind of infrastructure that's needed to create these uh, sort of alternative protein products isn't quite there yet at the scale uh, that's needed. So one of the reasons why um, the sales of um, the retail sales of alternative protein products have kind of stalled in the past. Uh, years, multi-factor um, issue, um, but one of the main issues is um, the global financial sort of situation at the moment. Uh, alternative proteins at the moment um, come under sort of what some people will call it a green premium, um, or these products aren't quite matching the price of the um, meats and, and dairy products they're sort of looking to uh, replace or provide an alternative to. Um, and one of the, the reasons that is the, the scale that we produced at. Um, once we have the facilities to uh, sort of maybe produce these on a much, much larger scale, then the economics of scale do kick in and we'll be seeing these products cheaper. But at the moment, that's uh, quite a key issue. And it's such a large capital investment that's needed. Uh, to produce the kind of uh, sort of large vessels that uh, needed for these kind of sort of fermentation or biomass fermentation processes, uh, and because this is all very new technology, this is all most mostly being made from scratch. Uh, so that sort of is time that's needed for uh, sort of manufacturing the industry to sort of get to that level where we can achieve uh, price parity uh, through scaling. Well, to I guess to I can I can look at this from maybe using an example. So recently, I, I gave a, a lecture to um, in in the university on uh, related to biomanufacturing. So I actually brought up the issue of uh, alternative protein, and I had a quick poll in class to ask them if they have actually tried it before. So some of them have, some of them haven't, but. Two things came up when I asked them about why haven't you tried it or why do you not want to continue eating it? Number one was somebody told me or quite a few mentioned that it actually doesn't taste as good. That was number one. And number two was that I'm not sure if it's safe. So that was number two. So I think if I use this as um, a point for, for looking at the question that you have, how to make it palatable, I think these are two very important points. So, of course, in, in, if I take palatable directly, then taste is the most important thing in terms of 
for all of us, when we choose our food, we want something that tastes nice. That it's um, very often. I, I think we've been spoiled over these years, whereby we get to choose many different types of food, and we always go for something which we find, yeah, that's the most tasty one. So I think it is natural that when people approach alternative food, taste comes very top in their priority. And I think for the um, alternative food to become widely accepted as a norm. I think the taste has to be something that needs to catch up with what we are familiar with and what we have always been eating. And I think this is also one of the driving force um, behind why we want in Renew Food, we want to look at flavor because we believe flavor is a key ingredient in terms of making alternative food uh, uh, to increase the uptake of alternative food and make it the norm for everybody. So the other thing with respect to, to safety, somebody mentioned he doesn't know whether it's safe to eat that. I think a lot of it is down to uh, public engagement and education. So I think that um, people have sometimes, if you people do not understand how this is being produced, so they have the, um, they're unwilling to try it because, I mean, we are all, un we are all, a bit uh, worried when we encounter unfamiliar things. So I think it's important to um, educate the public uh, about how, how alternative food are being produced and the effort that has gone into looking at regulations, into making it safe, what type of standards is it being used. And I guess from that perspective, we need the, the contribution of government regulators into making the system into making a system whereby the public has confidence in. And of course, then also um, in terms of having campaigns, for instance, to look at what alternative food is, what it means. I mean, some companies, manufacturers have very successfully uh, introduced food that's unfamiliar. Uh, traditionally, for example, um, companies like Oatly, which actually introduce the milk from nuts. So I think this, they have made it actually quite a norm now to actually eat that or drink that, use that. And the other thing is also, when we think about campaigns like five a day for, in, for consumption of vegetables, I think that is also a very successful campaign in making people aware that um, eating a certain amount of vegetables and fruits is important. And I think a similar thing can be used or can be applied to alternative foods such that we make it more we make it more familiar i would say for everybody about what it is and how it's produced and why we eat that so i think that is um i, I would say that are two key points of making it um, um widely uh, accepted for manufacturers and of course from a manufacturing point of view if we are looking on a global scale i think the other thing that is also very important to consider is the um, taste variations of different culture so developing a particular food, let's say for the UK market, um, may not be the exact same food that will work, for example, in an Asian market. So I think this is something that manufacturers need to kind of have in mind when developing products for a particular region. But I believe this is not dissimilar to how food is actually being globalized in terms of marketing and development of a food product in um, Europe would be different from that in Asia or in America. Yeah. If I could just jump back, yeah. uh, jump back in there. Uh, one of the other things I think that would really help um, 
sort of not get alternative protein sort of out there. It's really it's push from the government, not just from an education and sort of public health standpoint, but also um, from sort of uh, I guess a financial or investment standpoint as well. Um, if uh, the Good Food Institute uh, published a uh, review of sort of the countries that are uh, have put a significant sort of investment in are, are really the global leaders in uh, alternative proteins. Or sort of, uh, top of the pack is, is Israel um, and Singapore's up there. China and America are sort of emerging out there. Um, the UK is not amongst those countries at the moment. Um, but that hopefully will start to change. So in the 2021 uh, UK um, food, uh, what was it called? Sorry, let me, let me do that quote again so it'll be easy to enter. Uh, <laughs> UK food. Uh, the food policy. Yeah. In the 2021 UK food uh, policy, uh, uh, so the report suggested that uh, the UK government should put in a £50 million investment into alternative proteins. Uh, we're also seeing changes to how the uh, FSA in the UK changes the uh, regulation of uh, novel foods, which is what alternative proteins would come under. Uh, at the moment, we're basing very much on the EU framework, um, sort of the leftover from sort of pre-Brexit. Uh, the EU um, novel foods uh, application process regulations are quite um, bureaucratic and are not uh, well liked amongst the industry. If, if I'm being honest, uh, that's why we're seeing a lot of alternative company, alternative protein companies uh, look further afield, even if they're based in the UK or in the EU. They're looking at America and they're looking at Singapore uh, as places to bring their product to market. If the UK Sort of could change its sort of regulation to match more, um, perhaps sort of more and more America showing what Singapore showing what Switzerland as well as an example of a smaller market in Europe who also sort of uh, sort of the regulations, um, as well as a financial investment into uh, sort of homegrown innovation in the sector. I think we can start to see the UK as a potential um, sort of leader in alternative proteins in the near future.